Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. This is the Next Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me as always, the Whistle Sports Podfather, TKW OG, Kyle Maggio. What is up, brother? You know, hanging in there. Uh, basketball possibly coming back, maybe not for the Knicks. Who knows? We'll talk about it. Yeah, interesting stuff. Joining us again, he joined us two episodes ago, and we're happy to have him back. Eli Cohen. Eli, what is up? Not much, man. I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me on. No, always, always. And we, once again, I guess when Eli comes on, we have topical stuff to talk about because Knicks gave us some news right before we recorded. Uh, They're going to interview Kenny Atkinson. Before it was just Tom Thibodeau and Mike Miller under consideration, but Atkinson will interview with the team, I believe, this week. So, guys, initial reaction. What do you guys think about Kenny? I mean – of the three names mentioned in, in their initial search, I would yeah. prefer Kenny Atkinson, I think. Um, I think, it, okay, so it's weird. I and, and I know this is the point of being on the pod, now we're going to debate it, but I feel like there's like this vicious debate, you know, but I don't think there's really two wrong routes here. Uh, I know that Kenny gets viewed as the developmental guy for what he did recently in Brooklyn, I think, you know, fairly. I, he was a former Knicks assistant coach. He went over... You know, I think he's with the Hawks for a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. And then he ended right. up getting the, uh, you know, position with the Nets. And he ultimately did a pretty decent job there, uh, turning some guys around like Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, you know, helping D'Angelo Russell, you know, get where he was going, despite D'Angelo Russell uh, sort of contesting that later on after the fact. Um, but, I mean, overall, you know, Karis LeVert, I mean, he's he's gotten guys, he's gotten stuff out of guys there, you know. So it's like – for me, seeing it work for multiple guys and then building a pretty good system and product based on that, I'd like that. I think that's ultimately what you know got the Nets their their free agent coup. I think ultimately the Knicks just need a quick writing of the ship to be able to get back in contention to sign any free agents. Winning generally solves a lot of those problems. Um, but I don't know, because then the flip side of it, and this is what I wanted to pose to you guys with this debate, is I, I know that Tibbs kind of gets overlooked as this, uh, you know, hasn't really adapted well, uh, you know, grinds the his best players and, and whatnot. But I think are we overlooking, you know, maybe some of the development that Tibbs had with some of those Bulls early years, you know, with getting some of those guys to be better defenders, better overall players, all-around players. You know, I do think there's something to helping, you know, Derrick Rose have an MVP season. And, you know, I think the youngest MVP ever. Like, is there something to that that maybe we're overlooking a little bit? Um, because I think there's 
you know, Tibbs isn't my first option per se, but, you know, I would take Kenny, but I think it's kind of swung too far the other way on Tibbs now. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, you know, I've been kind of vocal about having criticisms of Tibbs, mostly going back to his time in Minnesota, um, just because I didn't feel like he had updated his defense that much. And I thought that there were, you know, Towns and Wiggins are both bad defenders. I think we can say that pretty safely. They, I don't think Cat has ever been on a top like eight defense um, with or without Tibbs. So you have to balance out what's the player's limitations and what is the scheme. But to me, it, it didn't seem like he had, you know, adapted for the changes that had happened in offenses since he'd been out of the league. But I do agree. I think that the the hate has kind of gone too far. And I think that some of that is kind of conflating his actions of making a terrible Minnesota team as the president of basketball ops with his coaching. And his coaching did get them to the playoffs for the first time in, what, like 14 years. Um, and at the end of the day, he is a good coach with an accomplished resume. So he, like, like you, Kyle, he's not my main choice, but I think that some of the hate has gotten a little bit ridiculous. And, you know, especially, I think that there's a lot of validity to his overplaying guys. You know, Luol Deng should have had a career that went past age 30. You know, he's not a big man who should break down like that. Um, but I also think, you know, Knicks fans aren't happy when their guys play, don't play enough. They're not happy when their guys play too much. I don't think they're, you're going to find a solution that everyone is happy about, but I will say that I think RJ and Mitch are going to be the kind of guys who he can run out there and can use all the reps they can get just to get as much, you know, feel for the NBA game as possible. Uh, so when it comes down to that, I think that those concerns are a little overstated. That being said, like I think to me the main question is, what are you hiring them for, right? Thib seems like a guy that you hire to get – a competitive team that's going to start making some moves towards playoff contention, towards being, you know, a respectable winning basketball team. Now, so the question is, are the Knicks there? I don't think the Knicks are there yet. So I would probably prefer Kenny Atkinson to get them to the point where you would hire a coach like a Tibbs to take you to that next level. Um, so it's all about where, where do they realistically see themselves at this point in their rebuild? That's what scares me. I think folks are just squeamish about getting any type of quote-unquote old name. And I do think he's a little underrated at this point, Kyle. That's a good point that he did take over a pretty young Bulls team. My counter to that is they were the baby – there were still remnants of the baby Bulls, I believe. Dang Dang was on the baby Bulls, I believe, with Noah. So they did have a little experience, and then Rose was just top-tier talent especially in 2011. So I think that contributed to success. But my whole thing is what Eli hit on on his the last part of his answer is this doesn't really make sense for Tibbs. He just took over a rebuilding team in Minnesota. We saw how that went. He's not young. Like Kenny Atkinson's still young career-wise. Tibbs isn't. Why would you take on a massive rebuilding job when there's sure to be at least a couple veteran teams that – either close to the playoffs or just made the playoffs. So see, that's where my anti-Tibbs is coming from. See, this is – so I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, I've actually agreed with most of the Tibbs criticisms. I think the one thing that I differ with you guys on is I think Tibbs is the step one coach, not the step two coach. You know, like the point that you guys are making about, oh, you, you know, get a Kenny and then he'll get you to the point where you need the guy to take you to the next level. I think 
Tibbs is actually that guy. I think that is exactly his job is to come in and give you a safe floor by depending on certain rightful guys like an RJ, a Mitch, uh, even a Frank. I think, you know, we, we always kind of hope that Frank ends up playing a little bit more and then it never happens. I think with somebody who is hyper-focused on defense, it'd be hard to not play Frank 30-ish minutes a game. But um, to me, I, I just I think it makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, he always has that kind of workhorse ball handler guy. And I think RJ needs to be in that kind of role, at least to some degree early in his career to help him develop the way that he needs to you know ultimately play to be successful in this league. I think, you know, Mitch is obviously going to start and play under Tom Thibodeau. He always has a has a center that generally he would lean on, which didn't, you know, part of the issue of that was Cat uh, not holding up his defensive end of the bargain in Minnesota. So it's like, you know, we saw what he was able to get out of like bigs like Taj and get out of Noah and that slew of depth that those teams always seemed to have when it was like Omar Asik and uh, Ashik anyway. Sorry, but um. I don't know. I, I just feel kind of confident that Tibbs would be like the floor raiser, not the ceiling raiser. I think he would just do like the bare minimum competent stuff. Like, oh, these are our best guys. RJ needs the ball. It's our overall, you know, third overall pick. We're just going to trot these guys out here, you know, get them some shooting and then see what happens. Like, to me, that's how it would go in my head. Because I think the Knicks think that's what needs to be done to like be the first step. I think that's what they truly believe is like, okay, we're going to hire these competent, you know, front office people. Uh, we're going to get Tom Thibodeau. They're going to put the hands in our, you know, he's going to put the ball in RJ's hands. We're going to see what happens. Like to no. me, I think they think they're a lot closer to the playoffs. I think that's how we have to kind of view this too. I don't think they view this as like, we're, we're still three seasons away. I think they view it as like, if we get a Tibbs, we're kind of expecting the Florida raise and see what happens right or wrong, right or wrong. But that's where they screw up though. I think they are still two to three seasons away, but I got a question for you guys. Do you, would you rather see the head coach hired after the draft? Because if they get LaMelo, if they end up trading up for LaMelo or just getting him in the draft period, I definitely want Kenny Atkinson because I want an offense that's up and down the floor. I think the pieces are there for a good defense, and with Tibbs there, that will be amplified. Like you have a good core with Frank. RJ was better on defense than expected, and then obviously Mitch. So I would lean more towards the offensive guy. And this also could open the door for Mike Miller to return until next year. I remember last episode we talked about Perry staying for that extra year. Maybe Miller just as a stopgap just because this year has been so weird. And I feel like if they do this the right way, I feel like the natural hire will come to the forefront. I think that Miller staying on as like the top assistant coach is probably my like best case scenario, uh, whether that be under Tibbs or under Atkinson. Um, the one thing that I think when if you like, if you're hiring a coach before the draft, you kind of run the risk of like, do you have to then take their consideration or their pick into consideration who they're advocating for? And then what happens if you don't take them? Uh, so I, I do think that they should probably wait until after they see like where their team is shaping up to be. But I don't know. That's also like, do you match your coach to the team or do you try to get a coach that builds the team that you want it to be? But but Kyle, I thought that what you were saying, sorry, Mike, uh, I thought what you were saying about the way that he would utilize RJ and Mitch was really interesting and not something that's brought up enough is if he can sort of put RJ into the Jimmy Butler school of development of just like, 
you know, what, what he became this year where he didn't shoot a lot of threes and shot badly uh, for him. So hopefully that rises, but basically just became the main cog as an initiator and like the hub of the offense. Then, yeah, that sort of has been his natural progression ever since his time with Thibs. And then you have Noah, who he kind of opened up. He made him like a point center for that, that year that he came in fourth in MVP voting. Uh, not that I'm saying Mitch should be that, but at least we know that he is willing to give his centers like a little bit of expanded opportunity. Uh, and I don't really think that that gets talked about enough because, you know, we, we talk about this, we talk about, you know, not shooting a lot of threes and clunky offenses, but he has shown a little bit more creativity than I think he gets credit for, especially on the offensive end and especially utilizing his kind of non-guard players. Yeah, uh, that's kind of my main thing was like, I I just didn't understand how we were overlooking that, you know, like to me, that was a kind of a major part of what Tibbs did was like, oh, I have a, obviously he had Jimmy in both spots, but even still, what is Jimmy? Jimmy's a ball handling, playmaking wing, right? Who plays both sides of the floor. He has some shaky shooting percentages. So like not projecting RJ to be Jimmy Butler, but like, there are some very loose similarities to him early in his career. So I do think it's not really insane to look at a Tibbs and look at the current situation and go, okay, we have RJ, you know, that kind of fits what Tibbs would, would want, you know, or has had with a, a Jimmy in the past. And we have Mitch, who's a rock solid center of the future. It's like, I don't think it's that insane, man. And I, and I understand the concerns about the overplaying, but God, like I'd rather RJ be playing 33, 34 minutes a night right now than the alternative and Mitch playing, you know, 35, 36 minutes a night than the alternative. I just would. I'm sorry. Like, especially when they're young, I just would. Plenty of guys have done this and had good careers, long careers too. It's not everybody's going to be doomed and ground into dust. Like I, I understand that there's concerns. And if it's every year they're playing 38, 39 minutes, cool. But there's also some evidence of Tibbs kind of scaling that down as seasons progress too. So I just think everybody's always, you know, there's much to do about nothing. But I, at this point, like, I'm just trying not to lose it with any of these, uh, these names anymore. I mean, Atkinson, I think, is a pretty smart guy to consider. And they're actually going to interview him, which, again, makes me happy. I would probably hire Kenny if I could. I think that's, that would be my top choice. But I don't mind if they end up with Tibbs. Like, to me, it's just, it's firmly fine. You know what I mean? Like, it's firmly fine. Like, you could do so much worse than Tibbs. And I'm sorry, it maybe doesn't seem like the perfect hire, but at this point, like, you know what, you know, we know he's a disciplinarian, right? We know he's hard, expects a lot out of guys. His teams always play really hard. You know, I mean, is that the worst thing for a young team that can't get it together? I don't know. I don't know, honestly, but it doesn't sound like the worst thing and I'm fine with it. If Mike Miller, you know, ends up, you know, coaching this stopgap year because it's a shortened 45 game season next year or something, cool. I don't know, but I would prefer that he's just not the head coach. I, I, I'd like him staying with the organization, though. I think that's ultimately what he should do. He was fine in the G League. He was fine on the bench with Fizz. Uh, he did some nice things as a head coach. I just think he was in over his head. There's also something to be said for the fact that Tibbs was able to get competent point guard rotations out of, like, Kirk Heinrich, Nate Robinson, yep. and John Lucas III. So for a team that has always had terrible point guards as of, like, the last 20 years – kind of helpful you know hopefully we don't continue to have terrible point guards but like you know if there was ever a match made in heaven that seems like what we need 
Yeah, and to that, I think that was a different. That was like right at the end of the last era. I feel like post Warriors, I don't think Tibbs is replicating that same bull success. That could just be me being skeptical, but that just is what it is. But uh, yeah, next season. Now that you bring that up, that's a good way to transition. This season might continue, and the plan right now is teams are recalling players June 1st, training camp roughly a month, and then basketball should be coming back at the end of July or early August. And the proposed format is actually pretty cool. They're thinking of a World Cup format, which would include 20 teams, the 16 teams currently in the playoffs, plus the next four best records. That would, of course, leave the Knicks on the outside looking in, which wouldn't be a bad thing. They would just be ready for the lottery. I'm not sure how that affects the lottery odds. No one's reported on it yet. But how are you guys feeling about, A, the format, and, B, what it means for the Knicks? Uh, I think it's a fun idea, and I'm definitely all for kind of using this weird freak season that is not going to be replicated to try something new. Um I do have some questions about the, the World Cup format. Like there's, there's just something that I think John Hollinger put out an article today where he was kind of breaking down some of these things. But so like when, when Kevin O'Connor put out his breakdown of what that would mean, it would be four, four groups and basically every team playing eight games. So my big question, and this is the one thing that like I could see it being a real hang up to this, is what happens for the teams that are like mathematically eliminated? You know, if they if you start out and lose like three straight games, are they just going to pull their stars like to not risk them because there's really no point in them playing the next five games? And if so, like that skews everything else in that group and you could have, you know, a team kind of skate through. You could have, I don't know, all these very kind of freak happenings could occur if that happens. And is it just not going to be as fun to watch, you know, if, if Dame makes good on his threat and just doesn't play the last five games? then I don't know. I think you could have some real issues, but it also doesn't seem like there's any good, perfect solution that's not going to have huge problems. And this one is definitely fun and it's definitely outside the box. And I think we saw in the all-star game, like people are initially always kind of scared of changes to an established order, but you know, you get a, a little taste for it and a little change can be a really good thing. I have no idea what's going to happen when these teams return. Um, I, I found some of the possibilities intriguing. I, I, I'm honestly fine with almost anything that they do, um, from a fan perspective, from an entertainment perspective, I'm very on board with, I I think anybody who's like anti changing things is being very, very silly right now. Like this is a wild time. Like the, the finals should have been like starting very soon. You know what I mean? We're already going to delay this this calendar, you know, the, the league calendar here. Like, the way that I'm looking at it is like, yeah, why not experiment? This is already weird. They're already going to asterisk all of this anyway, like it or not, as much as we don't think it's not fair, but it's going to happen, right? So just be, yeah, try it out. Be weird. I don't know. I mean, you know, like you said, Eli, like some wild possibilities could happen. I think that that's fine. Wouldn't that be the best case scenario in NBA history if some wild scenarios did happen? You know, like... From a, just from a fan perspective, from like logic and, and decision making, I don't think it makes any sense to bring back all the teams, including the Knicks. Like if you were if you're gone or pretty much gone, like just stay out of it. I, I think that is ultimately what's going to happen. But 
it would be sick to see Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving come back and, and Steph Curry and Clay come back and the Warriors who were mathematically eliminated suddenly are, you know, fucking things up in the play. It would be hilarious. And then 10 years from now, you'd look back at that and it would be hilarious. It would be hilarious. It's a hilarious story. You know what I mean? I th- I'm like, I'm for it. I just don't think that's going to happen. Like, I don't think you can go back to like a Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota, you know, especially given what's happening in Minnesota right now and, and be like, hey, man, uh, need you bright and early, buddy. When we get back those games in uh, July. All right. Uh, get it together. It's like, why? You're already mathematically eliminated. This went terrible. You know, so I don't think it's going to happen, but I do think from like a fan entertainment perspective, people are kind of being silly if they think it wouldn't be some of the most bananas, insane, fun stuff that we've seen. It just would be. It just would be. It just would be. I have an interesting idea I want to pitch to you guys. It's kind of like a compromise. Okay, so you have the 20 teams. You can maybe even expand it to 24 if you really want to get crazy like the NHL did. But for those remaining teams and teams that get eliminated early, a lottery tournament, single elimination, winner gets the top spot. Because now you bring Steph, Steph back. Clay should be able to come back. So now you have the Warriors at full strength, and then you have a whole bunch of shit. I just think it would make for some funny stuff. We're saying like the winner gets like the number one pick or the top yeah, yeah. spot pre-lottery. Number one, no, I, no lottery. The, the the lottery would be the tournament. I don't think you could do that this year. I'm actually for that. I would be for that. I think that's kind of how you fix things. Is like you got to be a smart, competent organization, be rewarded. I'm I'm sort of on board with that, but you can't do that this year. That would have to be like team, like like you'd almost have to like reset the league in a way. Like this is almost has to be like all right in 2025 we're gonna start doing that. So you guys have like a few years to like get your shit together for that new NBA, you know, like if you do it now, it's like, I mean, it's total chaos. Like I'd be, I'd be down from that perspective, you know, but it's like just league, like league sense wise. I I don't see how that's going to work the right way. Especially with the Warriors down there, you know, that's just like an automatic number one pick for them. Yeah. That's why I would find it so funny. When they lose, they win. It would, it would be. And and I think we were kind of expecting them to get, like once Steph went down, I was like, uh, of course, only only the Warriors could have the dream tank here. Like, we've been trying to tank right for what the last five years and haven't been hey, able to do it successfully once. At least it wasn't last year. Imagine the Warriors having With Zion. pole position on Zion. That oh, would have been okay, legitimately that's, scary. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And it, even but I don't know. It's even still. I was like, I think I tweeted something about this a few months ago. But like, how many dynasties have ever had a chance to just take one year, just like reset? get a bunch of new young None. guys and then come Just back. The like, that is so crazy. Just the Spurs. And uh, yeah, I, like no one has ever been able to do that. Cause that's always well, the thing uh, that kills the dynasty is get it. just aging out. Cause you have all these ring chasers and you know, you get older and older and now they have, they're just stacked with young talent, which is well, just wild. Yeah. It's, it's Pistons, that, Pistons can't count. Right. That was like right before they won. I think when they got, when they could have drafted Melo. Uh, yeah. Well, they could have been that. Uh, yeah, no, I think, yeah, they, they they had a chance to be that, but <laughs> fools. Damn. What else do we have on the docket? Oh, and uh, yeah, since I guess we could cut this whole little section. Um, <laughs> I, I just I zoned out. I just forgot. What me we were too. About. 
Um, yeah, so just to put a bow on this episode, I figured quarantine's coming to an end for most of us. I know over in New York, over here in New York, it's finally coming to an end. And throughout this whole thing, I think nostalgia's been a big play. So we've watched a lot of classic games. So I just wanted to see what you guys were watching during this quarantine or which player you watched the most of. Uh, for me, I uh, I actually decided to try to go like a little bit more random. So I went, I watched a few Ray Allen, like young Ray Allen games, one from his uh, Sonics days and one from his Bucks days. The last one being uh, game six of the 2001 Eastern Conference Finals. Kyle, I think I talked to you about that on Twitter, mm-hmm. but it was a game where uh, AI went for 46 and Ray went for 42, uh, 41. And God, I, you know, I've, I always forget because I feel like I sort of came into being more of like a league-wide fan versus just a Knicks fan kind of around the time he was in Boston. And he was so much more than what he was in Boston. Like he was still hitting crazy shots, but, you know, his off-the-dribble stuff, his defense, he was he was a lot of fun. And I think he gets a little bit like – he gets put in kind of like the Clay Thompson category, and he was so oh. much more than Clay Thompson as a player. Yeah, it, it actually really bothers me that he gets put in that box just because he reinvented himself the second half of his career to extend his mm-hmm. career. Uh, that bothers me. We always seem to do that with um, – a lot of great players as they age, we go by the last like four years of whatever they just did and then go, well, that's all you were. Uh, you were always this way and always this ineffective in this way. You know, it's very silly. Uh, he was he was much better uh, a ball handler and, and off the dribble than he gets credit for. Obviously, catching and shooting was his bread and butter, obviously, because of his literal perfect form jump shot. But yeah, it's it's not really fair. And he was a good defender. He was just a really good all-around player and, and actually a really exciting player. And I think that's an excellent point. You know, people do forget that. He wasn't just a shooter. The Clay Thompson stuff is really stupid. So, um, Seattle Ray's probably my favorite, honestly. Oh, I was going to ask, Eli, was there a lot of Sonics? on the on, uh, I'm assuming you were watching on Prime, right? Uh, no, I was actually just trying to find games on YouTube. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I actually can't remember which one it was, but yeah, it was one of the Richard Ray Allen teams that were just so fun and so modern. And, you know, Richard at his peak was a really fun player too. And he just kind of gets remembered for spotting up around Dwight Howard. But those two guys had a really great chemistry. Don't play my guy Derek Mason either. He was yamming it. <laughs> uh, to answer your question, Mike, so I started this intentionally going, okay, I'm going to watch a lot of Allen Iverson. He was always my favorite player, just very well known, always loved Allen. Uh, was always an undersized, weird combo guard growing up. I was never a point guard, never a shooting guard, so I was just out there as a guard. It was very strange. I found a lot of similarities in our games with, like, you know, picking the passing lanes and the way he used to steal things. So always loved AI, right? So I'm, I'm here trying to watch some of the old games I, you know, remembered growing up, whether it was on YouTube or I figured out Amazon Prime as a ton of games. And I start going through there, right? And then I remember I searched Iverson, and then all of a sudden – like a bunch of NBA games came up just because they were tagged similarly. I was like, what the fuck is this? Look at all this McGrady. I was like, fuck that. I haven't seen some McGrady footage in a while, like full games. Like, sure. We always see like once a year, 13 points, 30, you know, three seconds or whatever it was. And it's always exciting. Right. But like, I was like, look at this. There's some Orlando T-Mac, some good Orlando T-Mac, uh, the 62 point game, obviously. Like I was like, I'm going to watch some T-Mac. So I've been watching a lot of Tracy McGrady, uh, a lot of 
the Orlando stuff, especially. And I've not just, he was just automatic and smooth, you know, just that's, that's my favorite thing with him. He was smooth. It seemed like he was never bothered by a defender because he was just so like, his form was good. His technique was good. And he knew he just had the length. So like a guy would get in his face, he'd lean one way, fade one way, you know, just filling it up. Uh, just, just a really good player, man. I it really missed watching him. He, he's really a joyful player. He was so much fun. One game that I, I really wanted to watch, but I haven't gotten around to yet, is actually from that same playoff run from the Bucks, 2001. Uh, and it's game three against the Magic, where Ray goes off for 27, and T-Mac puts up 42 and 10 assists and eight rebounds. And that's one that I, I think I'm going to have to watch sometime this week. It's like a five-point game. That, uh, Sam Cassell has a monster game randomly for the Bucks, uh, So that's one I'm going to be going back to, like, ASAP. I don't want to interrupt you guys, but you're saying Prime? Prime has games? Yeah, so I – yeah, the Amazon Prime has a lot. I don't understand – like, I haven't what? seen the – Yeah, I haven't seen the full list, bro, but I just know if you search NBA, like, results come up. Like, I, I have it on the Roku oh. app on my TV, uh-huh. and – I was out because I watched Sopranos on that, obviously, you know, that that's my, I, it's actually very good. I prefer it to Netflix, but so I'm watching, yeah, I'm watching a lot of prime. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, let me just see what they, Oh, the Iverson documentary. That's what I was looking for. So I'm like, Oh, let me just check. Cause I have HBO. So I go to like, try to find the, the Iverson documentary. I, I do. But when I search Iverson, I start seeing some games. So I was like, Oh, are, are these like links to YouTube or something? Like, what the fuck is this? So I click on one and it's a full game. And then it says like, NBA series and then it's like a random number so I was like oh there's a bunch of these games huh so then I searched like Iverson NBA and then a bunch of Iverson NBA games came up then I just searched uh then the McGrady one came up under one of those tags search McGrady all the McGrady stuff came up then I just searched NBA and then there was just mad stuff mad stuff yeah that yo I was watching that's uh when I found the finals game three that wasn't under Mm -hmm. Iverson tag that was like the first thing that came up under NBA so I was like cool I'm gonna just watch this shit Bro, I was watching some Android-ass T-Mac highlight tape this weekend. It was 50 minutes. And as good as it was, it was really grainy. I was like, oh, man, I would love to watch this in high def. Yeah. Wow, what a miss. But um, not to cut you off, but we now have less than a minute thanks to this Zoom meeting. So we're going to do a hard, fast outro. Make sure you subscribe. Five stars. Make sure you're following Eli, myself, the Knicks wall, Mike on Twitter. Uh We've said the ads before, but I'm not going to say them now in the essence of saving time. Uh, anything coming up, Mike, quickly? We got anything? No, just check out all those draft profiles. Okay, check them out. Eli, thank you for coming on. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, take it easy.